This is an example of speech. All our history Welcome back to Tell Me What to Think. A free from oversight and free of charge, thoughtfully improvised, expletive deleted, details expanded, whistle blow hard, evergreen topical heat wave of an ongoing conversation, turned podcast, in which we discuss politics, global affairs, current events, and anything else that bubbles up from the unmoderated comment section in our brains. We urge you to join us and tell us what you think. Listen to the archives, go to stoneduckmedia.com or tell me what to think. You can contact us at tmwttpod at gmail.com. I'm producer Pete. You can contact me on Twitter at Bloated Nemesis. And your host is Charles Minnick, who is on Twitter at Green underscore Weird, which is spelled W-Y-R-D. This episode, Charles speaks with candidate for congressional office from Kentucky's 5th District, William Billy Hibbets. Prepare to get righteous and reactionary. This is Tell Me What to Think. I'm William Billy Hibbets, and I'm running for Congress in Kentucky's congressional 5th District. Uh, well, thank you for having, thank you for uh, coming on the show, Billy. Uh, what uh, brought you to politics, if I can ask? Sickened, I was sickened at the level of political discourse uh, over the last few years. It's um, devolved from discussing um, ideas to to character assassination, and um, I wanted to bring more to the conversation than just um, mudslinging. Okay. Uh, well, tell me what you think about Kentucky's 5th. It seems like a sprawling district that's vastly rural. <laughs> Mostly, Mostly rural. Yeah. Yes, very rural. Um, we have some of the worst poverty in the nation. Um, in the 30 counties that we have, about 30% of those are in some of the worst poverty in the nation. Uh, we have a real lack of infrastructure. We have a real lack of jobs. Um, the, even places that are close are hard to get to because the, the terrain is so mountainous um, and there's just not a lot of opportunity. Uh, so your opponent, uh, Hal Rogers, is probably one of the worst in Congress. Uh, is there anything about him that you're targeting? or? Well, the fact that he's one of the longest serving politicians in the, in Congress right now, he's been in there since 1981. And uh, I really feel like we need fewer uh, career politicians. We've got so many people that are um, entrenched in this system that they don't remember what it's like for the common people in their district any longer. Sure, it seems like your opponent got like one single small dollar contribution of a hundred dollars. Other than that, it's very large PACs and uh, corporations. Are you taking any money from PACs or corporations yourself? No, no PACs, <laughs> no corporations. Um, the political action committees um, are not necessarily a bad thing in and of themselves. Um, the dark money contributions are what we've got to get out of of uh, politics though we've got to 
get rid of Citizens United and get accountability and transparency flowing again in, uh, in all levels of politics, really. Sure, especially down to the local levels. Um, well, I guess I'll start with the question I always ask every candidate I talk to. What does the Green New Deal mean for your district? The Green New Deal is imperative in this district. The citizens of District 5 have been subservient to big coal companies for too long. Uh, at the last of last year, the coal miners in Harlan County went on strike and blocked the train tracks so that the coal couldn't be shipped out because they weren't being paid. They eventually uh, were uh, paid and opened up the train tracks, and it's happening again. The, uh, the coal miners have again gone on strike because the same scenario. They're, they're just not getting paid from these companies, and there's, um, there's a real lack of jobs here. The, um, the coal has had a finger hold on uh, jobs in this area for people with uh, little to no education. You could come out of high school and start making 60 or $70,000 a year uh, working down in the coal mines. And while that's, that's great money for this area, it has terrible health effects on people, but also the environment itself. And so we've really... We've really struggled with finding a replacement for those types of jobs. Uh, what type of jobs do you, would you ideally like to see those replaced with? Well, the uh, people like to say that we need tech jobs and coding jobs uh, to replace those, but um, I don't know that that's the answer for this area either. The um, the educational attainment level in this area is not the highest. Um, and so um, I think we need more infrastructure jobs. We need uh, to repair our roads. We need better bridges. We need, um, we need public sector work is, uh, is, I think, what's most important. Um, uh, when you, it's funny that you bring up uh, infrastructure and transportation. With the uh, incredible, shall we say, geographical problems that your constituents have, or potential constituents would have, what kind of thoughts do you would you give to, you know, last mile transportation options as part of the Green New Deal? I mean, obviously, it tries to rely on public transport, but outside of urban areas, with shall we shall we say a seventy six percent rural area, what is that last mile option going to be, or what, what could it look like? That's, that's a great question. Uh, we really have almost no public transportation here. There are a few companies, um, Artec, Daniel Boone Transit, are a few companies that do provide some transportation, but that's primarily to disabled people, to um, healthcare appointments and that kind of thing. It's really hard for people to get to work. Um, it's hard for people to get to the grocery store. Um, short of owning a car. And as we've seen in the recent uh, cuts to food stamps, they've made uh, owning a car um, a problem and actually cut people off of food stamps for having a used car, which is entirely, um, it's untenable because people can't get to the store and there's no uh, options for transportation here. So we need buses. Um, we've got a, a lot of rail lines in this area. If we could, if we could do something with trains, um, there, there's almost no 
options for us down here and we really need some we need some better infrastructure to help people get to places um, cheaply and effectively without destroying our environment sure and that seems kind of like it would be the building block for any other potential programs like you know uh, free college for all uh, what kind of co education opportunities would people have if you know they could get to the nearest town or community college yeah, that's a big obstacle. People, um, there are areas here that, that though they may only be 40 to 50 miles away uh, by car, it's almost a two hour trip because the roads are so rural and mountainous and curvy that you have to have, um, you have to have a, a decent car to be able to get anywhere. And it's, um, it, it's difficult. Um, so, uh, Sorry to pull up your campaign website, but what is what do you think is your biggest uh, priority? I mean, obviously the Green New Deal, but uh, the biggest priorities for this region are jobs. We need better jobs, 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 and we have to have healthcare. Better um, Medicare for all is a huge, uh, huge problem here. Uh, people lack healthcare and. Um, and including healthcare, we need mental health care. We're in the midst of an opioid crisis, and I believe that that's directly related to people's lack of ability to get mental health care. People um, were sometimes prescribed pain pills for physical pain, and then I think a lot of addiction has stemmed from the uh, fact that the pain pills relieve mental pain as well. And so I think a lot of people are. Um, have become addicted to that sort of thing because of that um, that release of mental pain, and there's there's so much um, so much of that here. So jobs, healthcare, and then uh, the environment. Where uh, one of our biggest industries here in Kentucky District Five is tourism, and we we need to be able to um, sustain that because we have some of the most beautiful natural natural uh, resources lakes, rivers, state parks. Um, we really need to be able to protect those to keep people coming back here. Uh, and so I guess uh, this is such a profound or I guess interesting district that it's tough to even know where to begin asking. Uh, it seems like a lot of uh, your district is federal land, correct? like parks and such. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of, uh, like the Daniel Boone National Forest uh, covers a big portion of, uh, of this uh, region. And, and so finding a way to manage that and uh, capitalize on that without destroying it is a big, it's a big difficulty. I, I guess I'm just still flabbergasted by the fact that none of those train lines are used for transportation other than coal. Yeah, yeah, that's that's um, an amazing thing. There's uh, uh, the District Five goes up to Boyd County, and in Ashland, if you go on into Ashland, which is actually in District Six, um, District Six has the city of Ashland. District Five has the county that surrounds it, Boyd County. If you go up there, you can hop a train and go up to DC. You can go up to New York. 
but that is one of the only places where you can get anywhere, any sort of destination uh, travel is from Ashland and Boyd County, which is at the northeastern end of the district. And like you said, there's so much train, um, there's so much train track already laid that it seems like there there ought to be more opportunity to uh, move people in the spray. Right, I can't imagine there are that many airports. It's not to mention, yeah. Hmm. Um, so in your platform, you mentioned tax reform and a simplified tax code. Um, what do you? What would you propose to? You know, help avoid these loopholes and, uh, shall we say, legal shenanigans that corporations can use to get away with, you know, not paying their taxes? Or would you keep it simple just purely for that purpose? Well, it needs to be simplified, and the uh, corporations really have got to start paying their fair share. The trickle-down economics is proven to not work. It's not, uh, it's not trickling down. It's not trickling anywhere except maybe up. Um, and so we've got to get corporations and wealthy people paying their fair share and not paying the same amount that the working class people are paying. During the uh, 1950s, under Republican uh, Eisenhower, we had some of the most progressive tax rates we've ever seen at the top level, 70 and 80 percent in cases. And we need to get back to that level again. Um, people say it will stifle growth, but there were plenty of people that made great fortunes during the 1950s and 1960s under those rates. And it's not... Uh, it's not helping us right now for uh, corporations and wealthy people to be benefiting and at the expense of working class people. The working class people are an endangered species, specifically in this area. You can look and see um, there are so many places where you have huge fancy homes that are surrounded by single wide trailers that are falling down. It's the, the, the income disparity is, is very pronounced here all over the district. Um, what kind of experience, you said, uh, well, you're a major, you majored originally in theater, correct? And then, well, can you describe, tell me about your experience uh, spreading theater and arts across your district? <laughs> uh, the experience has been banging my head against a wall for years and years and years. We have, um, at least in this area in, in London, uh, where I've been trying to get um, a space to do theater it's um it's been an uphill battle and it's been really frustrating there there was a, um, a college uh, campus that closed in 1997 just um just up the street from my house and uh, for many years we had an active theater program there but um they um Every time we would build an audience, they would kick us out because we weren't able to pay enough. And so the, there's, there's buildings that are sitting empty that could be used for theatrical purposes, for entertainment purposes, live music. And they're still sitting empty years and years later because the owners don't have any economic incentive to make that space available to people whenever we would approach them with the theater guild opportunity to um to to do shows they would say 
oh, well, so-and-so is looking to buy this place or such-and-such is going to rent it out and then the building still sit empty 10 and 12 years later. So there, there's really a lack of arts and arts and entertainment in this area and both, well, music, theater, visual art. There's a real drought of that in this area and we, we need it and there's places where it could be housed if people had the vision to allow their spaces to be used. Wow, it seems like very, very low-hanging political fruit. <laughs> it would seem that way. <laughs> huh. Yeah, so I would hope that as part of your uh, campaign that you'd encourage some kind of, I guess, further expansion into the arts. Like oh, even definitely. here in you know southern Wisconsin, we've got just a severe lack of physical space for venues and art. Yeah, there's, there the, the buildings are here. The, the the people just don't have the the um, willingness to work with a fledgling group. They want um, you know money up front, and even if you can procure a space to uh, to do a show, there's you're not able to rehearse in the same space, and it's it's just uh, it it's been. Um, Butting your head against a wall, trying to bring the arts to this area. Well, is like, is it the politics of it? Are they afraid of the potential message that you'd be sending, or is it just autocratic I, nepotism? <laughs> I think it's probably mostly both, but I think probably more the latter. Um, the uh, a lot of the people that own the properties here are older, and so their uh, their tax rates are lower. And I don't know if they have some incentive for letting buildings sit empty uh, versus using them for some purpose, but people just don't, um, they don't want to see it. And I don't think that it's really that they're scared of the potential message because um, we, we, in, when I was growing up, when the college was active, we had a thriving theater guild. We did eight shows a year to a packed house. Um, but since people have this idea that that the only way to do a show is on a proscenium arch stage with a huge seating capacity and there's so many things that could be done like black box theater um, so many spaces that could be utilized and um, the they the the uh, what they've tried to do to address the problem is to build amphitheaters and this is Kentucky and our weather is terrible. You can't, I mean, our weather is unpredictable. You can't uh, plan to do a show almost any time of the year because you don't know if it's going to be raining. You don't know if it's going to be cold, even, you know, even in the summer months, it's, uh, it's really hard to schedule things to be done outside. And uh, amphitheaters have been a kind of a band-aid measure that a lot of places have used, but they're just not effective for, for uh, fledgling groups. Did I lose you? Oh, I'm sorry. I was muted. Here we go. Ah, that was my fault. Um, my cat is sitting on my desk and he was purring at full volume, but... 
<laughs> it sounds like those small groups just need smaller spaces that they can use regularly, like a storefront. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we have, a, we have tons of empty storefronts because we um, we were part of, we had a downtown economy that um, moved largely away to the bypass. A lot of a lot of rural areas have the same sort of thing where they had um, downtown with shops and restaurants. And then uh, when they moved away to um, to the, the bypasses and to where the people were, um, they left those spaces empty. And it's uh, we have a lot of storefronts and things that are just sitting there unused. And we have a group, uh, the London Downtown, which has done some great work as far as beautification of the city and, and drawing businesses back to downtown. But we still have a lot of buildings that just are sitting there empty. It's kind of a, I mean, I know for a fact it has a depressing effect on the psychology of a town because if the town is suddenly just uninhabited with for rent signs, it's yeah, yeah. not indicative of hope, right? Right. Um, so talk to me about the opioid crisis for a minute, if you could. Well, how many people do you know with, like, just possession on their records, for instance? You talk about criminal justice reform. Is that part of it, like just getting rid of those simple possession charges? I think that's a, that's important. Um, we need to, the war on drugs has been a failure. Um, we, we need to, um, we need to legalize marijuana and also... Uh, not just decriminalize, but expunge the records of people because that is a way that people are continuing to be held back uh, through these simple possession charges. Um, and uh, I don't know numbers specifically, but um, there are there are lots of people here who have fallen into that trap of opioid use. Um, meth is a big problem here, and um, growing up. Um, I was aware that Kentucky was viewed as a marijuana growing state and I never in my life thought that heroin would be a problem here, but because so many people got um, hooked on the pain pills that were doctor prescribed, the many people have, um, have, have segued into using heroin and, and substituting that for the pain pills that they can no longer get methadone clinics, uh, suboxone clinics, they're, they're a Band-Aid solution and they're not, um, they're not transitioning our people into anything better. And it, it's really frustrating because everyone, everyone has family or friends that have been touched by this. I work at a restaurant currently and I know several people that are in recovery programs as we speak. And it's um, it's all coupled with the it's all coupled with lack of opportunity, lack of jobs, and people still want to blame addiction on just poor character choices. But they were they don't think about the lack of opportunity and the lack of mental health care that is driving a lot of these people to to abuse these drugs. So it, it's a it's a repeating cycle, and it, it's um, it, it's dooming our area. How many, are there any uh, residential treatment options in your area? I know that's a huge problem up here. 
we do have um we do have a couple that have sprung up recently um there are um there are more outpatient uh resources than there are inpatient but there are a few that um that are trying to work in this area to to help with that but it's um it's relatively new um to this area as far as residential treatment programs what we mostly have um, are probably like the suboxone clinics and the methadone clinics where people use these other legal methods yeah yeah so and that um i i've never personally dealt with that battle um but i know other people that have and they've talked about um both suboxone and methadone being just as bad um, for people and their psyche and their mental health as as the heroin is and so it it's um it's a band-aid solution and even though we've gotten a few residential treatment programs the they're still largely it's still largely seen as a flaw of character rather than a problem of addiction sure that libertarian box mm-hmm. um i imagine this uh well i mean the joblessness and the various other problems have contributed to shall we say a demographic pitfall in Kentucky, like we're seeing here in Wisconsin. Uh, here we're pretty much, well, I mean, not rejecting immigration, but what is the stance on how are immigrants seen down there? I guess. Yeah. Like, what kind of, you have mentioned immigration reform on your platform. What kind of, uh, would you like to see some kind of refugee uh, resettlement program into the, like, shall we say, demographically challenged areas? I'd like to see that personally, but it's, um, I don't think that it's going to fly here. This is, um, strongly Trump country. Um, they've, uh, they've successfully, uh, demagogued this issue such that, uh, outsiders are viewed, um, are viewed negatively regardless of what they bring to the table. And, uh, you know, we're not, we're not a border state, so we, we don't see some of the immigration problems that people have but you go to almost any restaurant in the area and it's going to be staffed largely by um, Mexican people, uh, Hispanic people working in the kitchens. Um, So we have, um, and then we, with farm labor here, there's a decent amount of immigrants that come here for farm labor work. And there's this, this, this area demographically is very Caucasian. Uh, it's about 97% Caucasian in District 5. Um, and there's a view perhaps that um, that they, that the people around here who have problems with race, they like the local black people and the local Mexican people, but they had this idea that the others and the outsiders are bad and it really we really need to get that uh, we need to dispel that notion because people are people and good comes <laughs> in in all flavors and all varieties uh, just as well as bad does um have you had any success in reaching out to shall we say current or former trump supporters and winning them over and what's been successful surprisingly um there are a number of uh, 
even diehard conservatives and Trump supporters who are open to change, who are open to the idea that um, how Rogers has had his time, um, that uh, there are many people who are who are willing to vote him out if they can find someone who is. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of education here, miseducation. Uh, about socialism and um, there's a lot of misconceptions about that in the area and I that the Republican Party has been uh, very great at messaging uh, to this area that um, anyone who votes for anything progressive is a socialist and we're going to end up like Venezuela and it's it's really disheartening in that aspect but I have talked to many many conservatives many dyed-in-the-wool Republicans uh, who are who are ready for some change? Who say that it is time for Hal Rogers to step aside? You know, after 38 years, uh, they're looking for some new blood, and and that's part of why I'm running as an independent to to present an option other than red versus blue or left versus right. That there's um, there's a middle ground that we don't talk about. There's a middle ground that people are afraid of. So. I think there's hope. It's just a matter of uh, the stereotype of um, of name recognition. Uh, there's a, there's a the pathway that that people seem to think as politics, and that's part of why I'm running is to bust the notion that you have to be uh, elected first to city council, and then run for mayor, and then run for state office. And then after you've become entrenched in the machine, then you're worthy enough to, to run for a national office. And the founding fathers weren't career politicians. You know, they were regular people who took time away from their uh, full-time employment to set up this system that we are currently still using. And we need, we need people who are not so entrenched in the machine that they're not willing to make some changes to it. Uh, we need uh, we need some fresh ideas, and I feel like people that have been in state government or local government long enough to have that name recognition, they're not often not willing to challenge these ideas because, with any institution, the idea that well that's just the way we've always done things mm -hmm. stifles growth, and I think there's too many people that are. Uh, entrenched in that idea that um, just because it's always been done a certain way that it needs to continue to be done that way. Sure. And that moral capture of once you're in an institution, your morals will adapt to continue that institution's interests. Oh. Um, what kind of uh, campaign techniques have, are you using, if you don't mind my asking? Um, um, a, lot of, a lot of my campaign has been online. Um, in this area, it's where because we're so rural, um, it's very hard to go out and canvas. Um, the there to go out and knock on doors is is really difficult when houses are miles and miles and miles apart. So um, I've been using Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and in an attempt to reach out to voters um, because it's it's really challenging to to try and find. Um, trying to find people in person and at the beginning of this campaign there was a case in Laurel County where a fellow had engineered 
a, a device on his porch to um, swing down and had nails in it to stop, I guess, tell or not telemarketers, but people from door-to-door salesmen and that kind of thing. What? There's a case in Laurel County, right where I'm you know, centered at, and uh, of a fellow who had rigged up a device on his porch to swing down and hit people with nails <laughs> if they knocked on his door. And so um, uh, that sort of scared me off a little bit about going canvassing door to door. So I've, I've mostly relied on um, on word of mouth and internet. Yeah, it seems rude to have to use a megaphone from the street to <laughs> yell up the driveway at somebody's house. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Holy cow. Um, I suppose telephone contact and texting is probably be way more cost effective, huh? Certainly. Yeah, definitely. But uh, then there, therein lies the problem of, because I'm neither a Republican or a Democrat, I don't have access to phone lists. So I have to build, I'm having to build those myself. And so it's, um, it's daunting because I don't have a party supporting me, but by the same token, I don't, I'm, don't have to um, rely on any specific party. I'm not beholden to the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. I'm beholden to the voters of Kentucky. Have the Democrats of the area approached you about your congressional run? Yes, some have. um, A a decent number have. Uh, Until just this month, I did not have a Democratic opponent. Uh, but there is a, a young fellow who has stepped up and, and decided to run. Um, and I'm, I'm still figuring out what that looks like. But this is um, this is a historically Republican area and um, historically in that it runs back to the party of Lincoln. Um, in District 5, we have one of the earliest uh, victories of the Civil War, uh, a battlefield here where they do a reenactment every third weekend in October that commemorates um, the Battle of Wildcat Mountain. And it was one of the first strategic victories of the North in the Civil War and um, an important turning point for the Civil War um, right here in Kentucky. And so we have ancestral roots to the party of Lincoln, but um, in that people think of the party of the Republican Party as the party of Trump now instead of the party of Lincoln. Yeah, it seemed like the party moved under your feet a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very far. So yeah, we've we've um, we've got those historical ties, but people don't have a long a long um, historical awareness. Sometimes people forget the the recent future or the recent past a little bit so uh, that's been a that's been a um, a bit of a problem here and a, an obstacle but if, uh, if we can remind people that there's more to the Republican Party than Trump there's more to the Republican Party than George W. Bush um, you know that if we can remind people of that then I believe I can make some headway. Sure. Just remember, remind everybody that your opponent, uh, at least Hal Rogers, is a member of the Congressional Coal Caucus, which I didn't realize was a thing until I looked at his record. <laughs> um, well, uh, good luck, Billy, and I hope we can talk again later as it gets closer to the election. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks for appearing on the podcast. Well, thanks for your time.
days of rage. Destroy the myth and it will break our chains. Break your chains!